Today on Abounding Grace. You know, the early church, most, most of them lost their life for the gospel. And whether you and I ever see that in our country or not is really irrelevant. Because God doesn't just want us to lose our life. He wants us to live our life for the gospel. You know, it'd be a lot easier to say, oh, die for Jesus. I know, you know, I would too. But the real question is, are you willing to live for him? With that boldness, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is amazing grace. You can see it in so many faces today. People, by and large, are discouraged and even depressed. What they need now more than ever is a powerful message of hope. And we have that hope in the gospel. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be equipped to share it. In John chapter 1, John is described as a witness. He came as a witness to bear witness. And you know something? That should describe our lives, too. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to help us with that. Now, when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he has much to say. It's the most theological letter in all of the Bible. And as he opens up in chapter 1, he's got the typical greetings. And then you'll notice by the time he gets to verse 16, it's almost as if this truth has exploded in his heart. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you're just riding along and this thought just explodes. And you're just so encouraged, so captivated. And I believe that's what's happening to Paul right here in chapter 1 of Romans. He's so encouraged and so captivated by the reality of his own salvation. He's just looking at his life and you're like, man, I can't believe that I'm saved. This is amazing what God has done. Now, those of you that have studied with us, you know that Paul the Apostle was not always Paul. We actually first meet him as Saul of Tarsus, this crazy, radical, uh, he was a religious man that had taken it upon himself to destroy the church. And he really thought he was going to do God a favor by taking out the church single-handedly if necessary. Not only that, but he received permission and authority to go for it. And by the time we get to Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, he met Jesus personally. And Jesus exploded upon his life. And in that moment, I believe he was born again. And Saul of Tarsus became Paul, later Paul the Apostle. And that's who's writing Romans. And it's almost as if as he's writing to the church in Rome about salvation, about the things swirling in his mind. In verse 16, he just pauses and he says, You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, that's a bold statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
He looks at it and he says it of himself. He's like, man, in his mind, I can almost think, I can say if I was in his shoes, like what God has done in my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that changed my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that rescued my marriage. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that sobered me up. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that introduced me to the creator of the universe, showered me with love. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God who would love me even when I didn't love him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Because there's powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful, and in it, God uses it to transform and change lives. By the way, today, today the gospel is powerful in your life. That if you recognize even the simplicity of knowing that, you know, I I don't need to explain it to you. I mean, as a pastor, I can, but I don't need to. You can explain it to me how separated from God you really are. You know that life isn't fulfilling you, you know that what's going on in your life right now represents a distance between you and God. You recognize the reality that life isn't what it could be and what it should be in your life. And let me tell you, the way it could be and should be is by repenting of your sin and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has radically transformed my life. Paul said that, I say that, and many of you can say the same thing. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. In it, the message God uses by the power of his spirit. You see, the righteousness of God is revealed. The goodness of God. And it's true. We want boldness. It's really silly, isn't it, when you come to think that you and I would be ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of what God has done in our lives. We're ashamed of the power of God. But I think in many instances, that's exactly how we present ourselves. We're ashamed of the gospel. When God opens an opportunity, we don't say anything. And there's a new person at work, we're really not in, so we'll talk about everything else but the love of Jesus in our lives. We tend to get intimidated. We tend to shy away. And so one of the things as a pastor that I pray for is boldness. I pray for boldness in my life. I pray for boldness in your life. Because here's the reality. This is the time. Now, while you're living and breathing, this is it. This is all you got to share the gospel. There's no evangelism in heaven. Everybody in heaven has already responded. It's now. It's the people now. It's your family, your friends. Certainly there are people on your heart right now that you can put. You've got a face. You've got a name. And friend, you've got to learn not to be ashamed of the gospel. Because in it is the power of God. And that's where Paul is. He's like, man, I'm looking at my life and my whole life is dedicated to sharing this powerful message, this powerful truth that your sins can be forgiven. You think of the early church. Remember that we studied the early church, the the believers, you know, they were no different than you and I. The difference between them and us are just simple. They're just a couple things. We're, We're distanced by culture and time. But other than that, they're just like us. They needed Jesus just like you need Jesus. They needed to respond and repent of sin just like you and I need to respond and repent of sin. And in the early church, you know, as we're walking along with that first group of people, it's about the time we get to Acts chapter 17 where they have a reputation. And it's really a cool reputation. And that is, as they're coming into town, one of the leaders of the town says, Oh no, the ones that are turning the world upside down have come here too. I don't hear that much about the church these days. I don't hear that much about those that call on the name of Jesus Christ. We have to be really careful. We have to really look at our lives and say, man, am I turning the world upside down or is the world turning me upside down? Am I being influenced by the culture or am I truly influencing the culture? Hey, pray for boldness. 
Because even in the midst of great opposition, you know, the early church, most, most of them lost their life for the gospel. And whether you and I ever see that in our country or not is really irrelevant because God doesn't just want us to lose our life. He wants us to live our life for the gospel. You know, it'd be a lot easier to say, oh, die for Jesus. I know, you know, I would too. But the real question is, are you willing to live for him with that boldness? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, years earlier than Paul, years before Romans chapter 1 was written, there was a man named John. Turn over in the Gospel of John. He's a different guy than wrote the Gospel. Years before Paul comes on the scene, we're introduced to a man named John. Again, this is not the author of the Gospel of John. This is a different John. We're introduced to him in verse 6 of chapter 1 where it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's better known as John... The Baptist. Now, that's not his first, middle, and last name. It's just how we know him, because we know him of what he was doing and what he came to do. We'll learn a lot more about him in another study in the future. But for now, we know him. This is John the Baptist. He had a specific ministry. He had a specific calling, and he fulfilled it. It says that this man, notice, there was a man sent from God. You might want to mark that phrase, a man sent from God. And of course, for you ladies, you could say for yourself, as you apply it to yourself, a woman sent from God. Because you want to be a man, you want to be a woman sent from God. That's how John was described. This guy could say with absolute certainty, he was sent by God. I love that phrase. It reminds me, it reminds me, it's a continual reminder in my life that I'm a man sent from God. He's my master. He's my leader. He's my pastor. He's my shepherd. And I stand before you and I can say the same thing as John. I'm a man sent from God. I'm not a man sent by man. You know, when, when we uh, prayed and, and end up coming to Aurora, it wasn't a man that sent us here. God sent us here. God wanted us here. And so I can stand with that confidence, no matter what we face, that I'm a man sent from God. I'm not a man sent from man. I'm not a man sent with somebody's opinion. I'm not a man sent with some philosophy. I'm not a man sent to try to talk about all these types of things and all these thoughts. I'm a man sent by God with God's message. And it's good for you to see yourself that way as well. You're a man. You're a woman sent by God. This isn't so, you know, you're not sent into the world with your own philosophy, your own religion, your own book, your own teachings, your own theories. When you see yourself as someone sent by God, it changes your perspective. It might even help you in the boldness area. Because yeah, you're delivering a difficult message, but you're sent by God. And if God before me, the Bible says, who can be against me? Now, that's a trick question because a lot of people are against you, but they won't prevail. God wins. His word will go out and will not return void. It won't return empty. It'll accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. A man sent from God. John was perfectly designed by and perfectly designed for God in this specific time and purpose. He's prophesied. He was predicted that John would come. I mean, that's a pretty great confidence to have. He's the voice crying in the wilderness, pointing the way to the Messiah, a very special man. 
serving both as a priest and a prophet. And we'll learn that in later study. Look at verse 7. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. You know, verse 9 is a reminder to us that no man, no woman, no child will be without excuse when they stand before God. Jesus Christ is the final message, gives light to every man who's come into the world. And when we studied Romans in depth, those of you that are with us, you'll remember that we looked at God not only gives the light of creation as a revelation of himself, but he also gives the light of your own personal conscience. Every human knows the right, the difference between right and wrong. Where did that come from? But God, he created you. So the light of creation, the light of God's creation of you with your conscience. And if you follow along those, you'll learn that the light of Christ and Messiah will be revealed to you. And that's a study we did in Romans 1, like later on, you can get it on the web, where no one was without excuse. No one. Why? Well, we learn right here, John says that Jesus is the true light, gives light to every man. And because he's eternal, that light is eternal. Beautiful, wonderful thing just to know that God has people covered. But notice John, number one, is a man sent from God. But secondly, he came for a witness. He came for a witness and also to bear witness of the light. That's in verse 7. So secondly, John is an example to us as a witness. Now, I think there's much misunderstanding with this word witness because it's often used as a verb in the church. Have you noticed? Like, you might have even used it that way. I know I have. Where we might get a group together like the young adults did not too long ago, and they went witnessing down in the 16th Street Mall or down in the park there as they took, uh, you know, hot drinks and soup and stuff and gave it away. They went witnessing. So what do we say? Let's go witnessing. Let's go witnessing. And I don't completely disagree with that because... Yes, witnesses go witnessing. So I don't, I don't completely disagree with that use. I use it myself in the verb form. But you'll notice that it comes to us in the scriptures in the noun form. That we don't go witnessing before we become a witness. That's what we are. We are witnesses, period. That's what we are. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can jot it down. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be a witness unto me, is what it says. First in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to other. You'll become a witness. What do witnesses do? You know, in a trial or in a courtroom, a witness comes, and what do they do? They testify to what they've seen and heard. That's what your life is and mine. As a witness, we're not, we don't just go witnessing. And the reason I don't like it, the verb form is because it makes it sound like something you kind of do and then it's over. Kind of do and then it's over. And we, we schedule it. On Friday night at 7 p.m. from 8 30, 7 p.m. to 8.30, I'm going to go witnessing. And then at 8.30, I clock out and I'm not a witness anymore. That, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that every believer is a witness. So the question becomes, not whether or not you or I are a witness. That's not the real question. The question's this. What kind of witness are you? And there's really only a couple of options. I'll narrow it down to two. You're either a good one or a bad one, but you're a witness. You're either witnessing to the true light. We learned that that's Jesus earlier because in him was light and life. You're either witnessing to the light that Jesus has brought into a dark world, or you're not. 
You're either, either witnessing really well in that light, to that light, or we're not. And now you can see how it ties together. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. To the degree that you're not ashamed of the gospel will be to the degree that you become a good witness. A good witness. Turn over, would you, to Psalm 40 with me? I think it's a great example in the Old Testament of a good testimony of just how witness, how you and I as witness is natural. You don't need to go to a class for this. You don't need to be, you don't need to study up on. You and I are naturally a good witness in our salvation and being born again. And I think here is a great picture of that in the psalmist's heart in Psalm number 40. Just kind of walking along David's testimony where he says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. See, many will see the work of God in your life. Many will see it. Many are watching. But jump down now to verse 9. Not only are many seeing it, but David is sharing it where he says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know, verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. He was a witness. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. You know, you and I aren't responsible for the salvation of others. We're just responsible to be what we are, a witness. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it's God that gives the increase. So the pressure's off. We're just a witness. Some are planting, some are watering, but God gives the increase. Now might I add this? I know it's just to a few of you, but it's still important nonetheless. Notice that John's described as a witness. He came as a witness to bear witness. And we follow in his footsteps. We've come as a witness to bear witness. God has not called us to be spiritual attorneys, if you will, where we have the mandate to go argue and debate and shove the Bible down someone's throat and prove to them that God, who is God, is who he says he is. And there's just some that seem to think that there's the gift of arguing, and there's not. There's not the spiritual office. There's not the, like, like, don't misunderstand me. Now, the Bible does speak to us to give a good apologia or a good defense in meekness and gentleness. I know many of the first few years of my, uh, as a new believer, I really thought it was my responsibility to go argue with everyone that would give me an audience. And I was very zealous. And the Bible describes that time period in my life, and perhaps in yours, zealous without knowledge. And so I would just study, 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 read, read, read. I'd be talking to everyone and anyone, and they'd bring up an argument, and I'd, bam, I'd knock them down. Not like that, literally, but, you know, verbally, verbally, verbally. But it felt like that. You know, it feels good. You know, I won. I won an argument. Yes, I could come home to Marie. Another argument, honey. And yet, there was no love. There was no concern for the soul. 
I had all the right facts. But somehow in my mind, I had lacked that wisdom of an understanding that I'm not called to be a debater and an arguer. I'm called to be a witness. Oh, I wanted to have the right answers, but I need to learn how to navigate those right answers so you'll receive them. I could win dozens of arguments and lose the soul. I wonder if that's what you're doing. Man, you're a great arguer, and you've got all the right answers, but you haven't led one person to Jesus Christ yet. And that's really the point, isn't it? You don't want to lose sight of the soul. Jesus Christ didn't die for good arguments. He died for people. And yeah, we need to understand the word, and I I think it's important for us to understand the word and learn how to deliver it, but it's far more important for us to use it in such a way that's going to draw people to the love and to the grace of Jesus, warning them of the hell to come, encouraging them by the heaven above, reminding them that there's forgiveness of sin, that God pulled you out of the miry pit, that he can pull them out of the miry pit too, put their feet on a solid rock, put a new song in their mouth, praise to God. John reminds me, I don't, I don't, I'm not called to be an arguer or a debater. I'm called to be a witness. I'm called to be a witness of him. And then verse 10, speaking of Jesus, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, verse 11, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Wow, that's almost as bad as John chapter 6, verse 66. I mean, think of that verse, 666, but that's a bad one too, where it talks about after those hard words that Jesus spoke, many, people, many of his disciples departed from him and followed him no more. Well, here's a verse even before where he came to his own. The Jewish Messiah came to the Jewish people and was rejected by a majority of the Jews. It's one of the reasons why you experience some of the resistance that you experience by your own. Do you know the Bible says Jesus himself told us that a prophet is without honor except in his own home or his own country. And a lot of times the excitement of salvation will come into a family and the family is not so excited as you are. And they give some resistance and they give some pushback and they give some rejection and they give some grief. And some difficulty. Some of you are in the middle of that right now. You know, it was take comfort in some respects. I mean, I know we want your family saved. Believe me, we need to continue to pray, continue to invite, continue to seek a way to share the word with them. But the resistance, well, for some it's, you're going to experience resistance. I remember in the life of Jesus where his own family accused him of being mentally ill. Do you remember that? He's just crazy. These guys grew up, I mean, they knew him. And they looked at his life and said, man, he's just crazy. You know, we need to take him home and hide him. Resisting the message. Hey, after his death and resurrection, they believed. They're like, oh, man. And it could be that God is doing that work in you. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged not in the fact that you're being resisted, but that even Jesus was resisted. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Or Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. And don't give up. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at edtaylor.org. 
and look for his podcast. It's called Lead to Serve on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. And I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Pastor Chuck Smith's very popular book, Love the More Excellent Way. We toss the word around rather casually. We say we love pizza, we love our dog, and we love our spouse. Hopefully not in that order. But what is love? It would serve us well to look into this and receive God's perspective. And love, the more excellent way, gives that to us. You'll walk away with a greater understanding of the beautiful depth of God's love for us and develop a deeper understanding of God's heart for us. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.